Well, good morning, Sojourners. Thank you, Chris and Mike, just for bringing us through in such a, a speedy manner. Um, I'm preaching on the Antichrist, so that's a challenge in its own right. Uh, but my time was cut short today to preach on the Antichrist. And so I was reminded when Jesus was talking about the Antichrist, and he says that the time of the Antichrist will be cut short. So I just was a little, a little nervous about the parallel there. <laughs> but but it's, it's actually a very uh, good reason why uh, we're ending at 12.15 today. Remember the morning that some eight years ago or something, an article was published called why the voice of John MacArthur in Grace Community Church is dying. 400 people looking to become members. I don't think the voice of Grace Community Church is dying. And that's only being interviewed today. The list of people on the membership, uh, membership list for the interviews is actually 1,000 people right now. So great things are happening a lot of good stuff is happening. People are hearing the gospel. People are eager to hear the word of God preached. And so we're seeing the fruit of this. And we are happily willing to sacrifice in order to make that happen. So, well, today, as I said, we are, pre- I am speaking on the subject of the Antichrist. We came back to Daniel, the book of Daniel, recently. Abner finished chapter 7. Last Sunday, we had Daniel preach, and then this Sunday, we'll uh, pick up just in between chapter 7 and chapter 8, and I want to talk about the Antichrist because we're going to encounter the Antichrist so much in Daniel chapter 8. We're actually going to see him in Daniel 8, Daniel 9, Daniel 11, so he's a prominent figure in God's revelation uh, to Daniel about the end times. And the truth is, he's a prominent figure throughout Scripture. We also see uh, references to, to the Antichrist in Zechariah, in Matthew, in 2 Thessalonians, in Revelation, of course. So he's important all throughout Scripture. And as he appears throughout Scripture, he's uh, referred to by different names. In Daniel, he's called the horn to signify the power that he has. Just like animals use horns to fight and to wield their power, he's, he's referred to as a horn in the book of Daniel. In 2 Thessalonians, he's referred to as a man of lawlessness to refer to the fact that he has zero regard for the law of God. In Revelation, he's called the beast, and that refers to his vicious brutality. So you can see that he will be a terrible and a terrifying ruler. Now, with all of this richness in the word, the Antichrist, the word, the Antichrist, has been used and misused to refer to people that you don't like. (laughs) I remember earlier on people saying that a certain pope was the Antichrist. When Hillary Clinton was still on the platform, I I saw an article with an opinion piece saying that Hillary Clinton was the Antichrist. The article went on to say that she was actually Satan. I, that same article or that same mag, um, newspaper also later said that Barack Obama was the Antichrist. Now, it goes both ways. When Trump became president 
everybody started saying that Trump was the Antichrist. In fact, if you take Antichrist, you're not going to be taken to passages in the Bible. The first thing you're going to see is images of Trump. And that's the truth. I remember somebody sent me a clip, a YouTube clip, clip of a person explaining why Trump is the Antichrist. And they said that the Bible says that Christ is going to return at the last Trump. <laughs> there, there is really interesting stuff on the internet. Definitely not worth your time. Definitely not worth my time. But it's out there. Well, the fact is that the Antichrist will be far worse than any of these politicians. He'll be a vile, he'll be godless, he'll be a satanic person, one that human history has never seen before. But the question is, if he is so terrible, if he is so vile, why are we spending time on him? Why does scripture spend so much time on the Antichrist if he is such a godless character? Well, God reveals the details about the Antichrist specifically to strengthen our faith in God, that God is an almighty God. And we could ask at this point, well, how exactly does the revelation about the Antichrist strengthen my faith in God? And there are a number of reasons that it does that. First of all, these details about the Antichrist show us that God is omniscient. God knows everything that will happen. And the fact that the Antichrist will come, that he will rule, none of this is going to be a surprise to God because God has revealed all of this in Scripture. And so when God's people see the world moving in this direction, when the people of God during the tribulation see all of those things happening, they will know that the word of God is true and they will know that God is omniscient. He is an almighty God. And that's exactly what God wants. He wants our faith He wants the faith of the people of God to be strengthened. Well, secondly, revelation about the Antichrist shows that God is also sovereign. He not only knows about these things, he's in full control of all of these events. When the Antichrist comes, God is going to limit his time for seven years. He's going to limit his time of persecution for three and a half years. God is going to be in full control of all of the events that happen surrounding the Antichrist. And thirdly, this shows that God is victorious. God reveals all of this about the Antichrist to show us that while the Antichrist will come, while he will have some success on this earth, in the end, he will be defeated. God will let the Antichrist and Satan unleash fury against God in, in, his, in their rebellion against God. But in the end, God will defeat them. And in this world's history, they will be the last thing that happens because God will defeat them and then Christ will reign in the millennial kingdom and we will worship Christ. And so knowing that God knows all things, that he's in control of all things, that he's going to be victorious, that should give us assurance in the fact that God is the Almighty and the only God. And that's why God reveals all of this about the Antichrist. So as we look at the rise and the judgment or the destruction of the Antichrist, 
There it is. The rise and the destruction of the Antichrist. We can see five characteristics that describe his life and his career. And when we see them, you will see that they are so horrifying that our only response can be to worship God and to thank God that we are God's children and that God has saved us from the wickedness of the Antichrist. Well, as we look at the life of the Antichrist, the first thing is his satanic origin. We see the satanic origin of life for the Antichrist is going to be to do the will of Satan. It can be summed up in one sentence, to oppose God by the power of Satan. That's the purpose of the Antichrist. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Well, for the Antichrist, to him to live is Satan. And just as Satan is entirely against God and entirely against Christ, so is the Antichrist going to be entirely against God and entirely against Christ. And that's why he's called Antichrist. He's both against God and he's also trying to be instead of God. And we see this from the very beginning with Satan who controls the Antichrist. In uh, the beginning of history when... uh, God created man. God said to Adam in Genesis 2 that if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And then in the next chapter, the very first appearance of Satan, he comes to Eve and he says to her, if you eat of this tree, you will surely not die. So he completely contradicts and he completely stands against God. Now also from the beginning and even before human history, we see that Satan tried to replace God, and he tried to make himself into God. In Ezekiel chapter 28, God speaks to the king of Tyre, and at the same time, God is speaking to Satan, who is the power behind the king of Tyre, and God says to him in Ezekiel 28 verse 2, he says, your heart is lofty, and you have said, I am a God. I sit enthroned in the seat of gods. And then speaking to the man still, God says, But you are a man and not God, although you make your heart like the heart of God. Now, as God continues to speak to the king of Tyre, this is what he continues to say. He says, you were in Eden, the garden where the anointed cherub. You were on the holy mountain of God until unrighteousness was found in you and your heart was lofty. So as God is speaking to this man, king of Tyre, God is also speaking to the source behind this man, and that source is Satan himself. And so from the very beginning, Satan tried to take the place of God. And this is the origin of the Antichrist. It's Satan himself. And this satanic origin is actually made even more explicit in the book of Revelation. Revelation 13 describes how Satan uses the Antichrist to carry out his satanic agenda and how Satan gives him supernatural power to do all this. And listen to Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, and you can see this on the screen also. It says this, And the dragon, and that's Satan, the dragon or Satan stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I, John, saw a beast, and the beast is the Antichrist. I saw a beast, the Antichrist, coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. 
And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast, or the Antichrist, which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And listen to this. And the dragon, Satan, gave him his power and his throne and great authority. The Antichrist is the agent of Satan, empowered by Satan. The Antichrist is the messenger of Satan who acts by the power of Satan. Just like the Lord Jesus is the Messiah sent by God to do the will of God the Father, so the Antichrist is the Messiah sent by Satan to do the will of Satan by the power of Satan. Just as Jesus carried out his ministry by the power, Antichrist will carry out his ministry according to the power of Satan. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2.9 that the Antichrist will carry out his mission in accord with the working of Satan. So the Antichrist is not simply some talented man or gifted individual or some successful leader. The Antichrist is a human being who is empowered by the devil himself. Pastor John said this, No one in human history will be more completely the devil's child than the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be the closest to the incarnation of Satan this world has ever seen. It's terrifying. Well, if this is the spiritual origin of the Antichrist, then what exactly will he look like? And this is our second characteristic about the Antichrist, the extraordinary character, his extraordinary character. Because the Antichrist will be empowered by Satan, he's going to have a supernatural character. He will do impressive things. He will do superhuman things. He will do things that a typical human being would not otherwise be known to do. Now, as people think about the character and the identity of the Antichrist, there's always been a question, what nationality will the Antichrist come from? (laughs) Is he Jewish? Is he Roman? And yes, people have asked me, is he Russian? (laughs) If only I were joking, how many times have I heard that the Antichrist is Russian. This used to happen more in high school than it does now. High schoolers have a weird way of making friends. But people would find out, you're Russian? That's incredible. Hey, do you think that the Antichrist is Russian? (laughs) Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Joe. (laughs) And they would bring up Gorbachev. You guys remember Gorbachev? He always came up in this conversation. They said, hey, your leader, he has a map of the world on his head. Do you think that that's the mark of the beast? Do you think he's the Antichrist? I don't know. Well, Scripture does not explicitly tell us. Scripture doesn't tell us what nationality he'll come from. But based on Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, it seems that he's going to come from the restored nation of Rome, the Roman Empire at the time of the tribulation. And if he comes from the Roman Empire, then he will presumably be a Gentile. 
But again, Scripture does not explicitly tell us his nationality, and it doesn't tell us this because that's not the most important thing about him. What Scripture does tell us is that he will be an agent of Satan and that he will fulfill the will of Satan by the power of Satan. And that's a series of exceptional qualities that he's going to have. First, it says that he will be an intellectual genius. Daniel 7, 8, it says that the Antichrist will speak great things. But the things that he's going to speak are going to be things against God. He will blaspheme God in such a way that the people will be persuaded by it and they will be impressed with his speech. Thirdly, he will be a master politician. Revelation 6 says that he will establish peace in this world without war. And part of this world peace will include making a peace treaty with Israel, the nation of Israel, guaranteeing their safety. So Israel will actually be safe for the first time in history. That's unheard of for the past 3,000 years in this world. But the Antichrist will be able to do this. However, he's going to do this only for three and a half years. Christ, the true Messiah, the true Christ, he will do this forever but the Antichrist will do it only for the first part of the tribulation. Fourthly, he will be a business genius. Daniel 8 and Revelation 18 say that he will bring prosperity to this world. Fifth, he will be a military genius. Daniel 7, Revelation 13 say that he'll be able to conquer the entire world and that he will rule over the entire world. Many leaders have tried to do this. Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander the Great, Napoleon... Most recently, Hitler tried to do this. They all failed, but the Antichrist is going to succeed. And sixth, he will be a religious leader. And not only will he be a religious leader, he will actually get the world to worship him as God. 2 Thessalonians 2.4 says that the man of lawlessness, which is the Antichrist, He will exalt himself above every so-called God, and then he will seat himself in the sanctuary of God, exhibiting himself as being God. He will take his place in the temple of Jerusalem, which is going to be rebuilt at that time, and he will require people to worship him. And this is also when he's going to carry out the abomination of desolation that Daniel speaks about and that Jesus speaks about. Revelation 13 says that he'll have some image of himself uh, established, put up in the, in the area of the temple. And then he will require everybody to worship that image. And Revelation 13 goes on to say that the people will worship him. That's the religious leadership that he will command over all of the people. With all of these qualities... This individual will be the ultimate counterfeit Christ. He'll be able to do all of this, however, only because he will be empowered by Satan. Satan will be working to achieve his will through the Antichrist. This will be Satan's last and Satan's greatest attempt to stop the reign of Christ. Well, when all of this takes place... Will we all be there? That's the question, right? Will we be suffering through all of these things? And the answer is no. The church will be raptured, and we will be with Christ before the tribulation 
begins, before the Antichrist comes on the scene. The Antichrist will come at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, but will be with the Lord already at this time. However, though the Antichrist will come at the end of time in this world, Scripture says that other Antichrists, Antichrists with a small um, and have been coming throughout history, even during our time, they will have the character of the Antichrist, they will do what he will do, they will lead people astray from God, and in this way, in doing this, they will prefigure the ultimate Antichrist. And just as Satan will work through this ultimate Antichrist, so is Satan working through all of the Antichrists with a little a. And this is the third observation I want to make about the Antichrist, and that is that there are many forerunners of the Antichrist. There are many forerunners to the Antichrist before the ultimate Antichrist comes. There will be many who will come, and they too will lead people astray away from God. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 24, false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And John writes in 1 John 2, 18, just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. So before the final Antichrist comes, there will be many wicked leaders and influential, influential people who will have the spirit and the character and the works of the ultimate Antichrist. They will be evil. They will have tremendous power. They will oppose God, and they will try to make themselves God. I already mentioned the king of Tyre, that he tried to make himself God. He said in Ezekiel 14.3, he said, I am a God. And in the parallel passage in Isaiah 14, 14, this king of Tyre said, I will make myself like the most high. He declared himself to be God. In Daniel chapter 8, which we're going to get to very soon, in Daniel 8, we see a big horn and a little horn, which both point to the ultimate horn, the Antichrist. The big horn is, the, is Alexander the Great, and he was a military genius who just went through all of the ancient Near East, conquered the entire uh, land, and subjugated all of it to himself. And this power, his military skill, points to the power of the ultimate Antichrist. The little horn is Antiochus Epiphanes. And he was a merciless, a brutal, anti-Jewish leader who tried to wipe out the entire Jewish nation. He massacred Jewish children, tortured Jewish women, he forced the, the priests to eat pork, and he actually sacrificed a pig in the temple. And this vicious character points to the wicked character of the Antichrist. And of course, the final horn is the ultimate Antichrist. And initially, he will set up peace between Israel and the rest of the world. But at a half point, after three and a half years, he's going to break that covenant, and he's going to try to wipe out the entire nation of Israel. Well, after Alexander the Great and after Antiochus Epiphanes, other antichrists and other false messiahs have come throughout the, the, the ages. In Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel, who is the teacher of the apostle Paul, he says that 
there were two individuals in particular who came and presented themselves, and people thought that they were uh, things. He was powerful. He was vicious. He destroyed property, killed people, also carried out a rebellion against Rome. But then he was killed, and his messiahship ended. About 100 years after Christ, in 132 AD, a Jewish leader by the name of Simon Bar Kokhba rose up. Bar Kokhba means son of the star. It's a messianic title that the people gave to him. Well, he met a, uh, led a massive revolt against the Romans, and he was declared to be the Messiah by his followers and even by a major rabbi at that time, Rabbi Akiva. But the revolt was squashed by the Romans, and everyone scattered. And so after his death, instead of calling him Bar Kokhba, which is son of the star, they began to call him Bar Koziba, which is son of deception, declaring that he was a false messiah. Well, let me mention just one more. There was a Jewish rabbi named Shabtai Tzvi from Turkey, and he lived in the 1600s, A.D. 1600. And he was a self-proclaimed messiah. He led an insurrection, an insurrection against the Muslim government, but then he was captured and he was threatened of death with death. But the Muslim government said to him, you know what, we'll give you a choice. You can either die for doing the insurrection or convert to Islam and then you can live. Believe it or not, he converted to Islam. And so what you have is a Jewish Muslim Messiah. (laughs) And you can just think about the falsehood and the falseness of this kind of a Messiah. And these are just a few examples of people who had the spirit of the Antichrist. But Scripture says that false messiahs, these Antichrists, will keep coming all throughout human history with different faces, but they will all point to the ultimate Antichrist. They will all prefigure him, and they will glimpses of what he will do, how wicked he will be, how vicious and godless he will be, and the things that he will carry out in the end to fulfill the will of Satan. But what all of these antichrists have in common is that they all lead people astray from God, from Christ, having people follow them instead of follow God. They are all deceivers. And this brings us to the next characteristic about the ultimate antichrist, the great deception of the antichrist. The Antichrist will try to carry out the greatest deception that this world has ever seen. What all of the Antichrists with the small a try to do, he will do in the greatest possible way. He will try to do, and he will succeed to a certain extent. He will try to get, and he will succeed getting the world to follow him, to submit to him, and even to worship him as God. If all of the preceding Antichrist showed one characteristic or another characteristic of this ultimate Antichrist, he's going to have all of these characteristics in one person, and he will exemplify them and show them all together in one person. That's why he's going to be so powerful. He will be the greatest counterfeit Christ that this world has ever seen. Now look at some of the acts of deception that he is going to achieve. Christ 
was sent by God the Father. The Antichrist is sent by Satan, who claims to be God, in 2 Corinthians 4.4. Christ is the Prince of Peace. The Antichrist will establish peace for three and a half years during the first part of the tribulation. Christ is the King of Kings. The Antichrist will establish a kingdom and he'll be the king of the world during the tribulation. Christ will dwell in the millennial temple. The Antichrist will dwell in the tribulation temple. Christ is God. The Antichrist claims to be God in 2 Thessalonians 2. But if we think about the great deception or the greatest deception that the Antichrist could pull off, what would that be? When you think about Jesus, the true Christ, the true Messiah, what is the central event that defines his ministry? I know that you're scared to say this, but it is the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? That is the most defining uh, event that Jesus fulfills. And this event is an event that we will even worship him in heaven for, for eternity. When Paul says he preaches, what does he preach? He says, I preach Christ crucified, just like Pastor John read this morning in 1 Corinthians. And what this means is that he preaches the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what the Antichrist is going to counterfeit, the death and resurrection of Jesus. He's going to counterfeit the death and resurrection of the Antichrist. That will be his ultimate deception. In Revelation 13, John sees a vision of the Antichrist, and he sees that the Antichrist has ten horns, and seven heads. And listen to what John says in describing this. John says, And I saw one of his heads, the Antichrist's heads, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain fatally. And his fatal wound was healed. And the whole world marveled and followed after the beast, the Antichrist. And they worshipped also the dragon, that's Satan, because he gave his authority to the beast, the Antichrist, And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? The Christ is going to die and to rise from the dead, or he will fake all of this. He will stage this entire event. And because he will do this, people will follow him, and people will think that he has conquered death. Now, whether his death and resurrection is going to be genuine, whether it's going to be real or fake, the people will think that it's real. You hear this, and you think, this sounds exactly like Jesus. And that's the whole point. The Antichrist is trying to counterfeit Jesus. He's trying to imitate what Jesus did so that the people will think that he is the true Christ. The Old Testament scriptures point to the suffering of the Messiah from Genesis 3, to Isaiah 53, to Zechariah 12. And what the Antichrist is going to do is he's going to carry out this event so that all of those scriptures could now be applied to him. This is why this is going to be the greatest deception ever. But this deception gets even more simple. Paul wrote, we preach Christ crucified. Well, after the Antichrist dies and rises from the dead, or after he fakes this entire event, 
he's going to have a prophet, a false prophet. And this prophet, and he's going to preach the death and resurrection of the Antichrist. Revelation 13, 14 says that this prophet will tell the people to make an image of the beast, the Antichrist, who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. Just like the apostles preached the death and resurrection of Christ, so the false prophet will go out and he will preach the death and resurrection of the Antichrist. You look at this. I mean, this is astonishing. And the question is, if this deception is so sophisticated, how can the people know who the true Christ is and who the false Christ is? If the Antichrist looks just like the true Christ, how do you tell the difference? Well, in anything that is counterfeit, you always have things that differentiate the true from the false. And the same is the case with the Antichrist. When I was in high school, I worked in the cafeteria uh, during lunch, selling lunch. And it was a very fast-paced environment. Uh, There would be a huge line. The people would come up. They would give me usually like a $5 bill or something like that. I would take the $5, put it in the cash register, give them the box with a burger, fry, and a Coke. And they would go off. Well, one time, a guy came up to me, and he handed me the $5 bill. I gave him the food. He went off, and I went to put this $5 bill into the cash register. And I'm telling you, this $5 bill felt just like any other $5 bill I ever touched. But as I put it in the cash register, I opened it because it was folded, and one side had everything that the money was supposed to have. Uh, It was uh, Lincoln's image. It was green. It had the five on it, and then the other side was blank. It was just white. There was nothing on it. It was a complete ache. And that is the Antichrist. On the one hand, he will look real. On the other hand, he's going to have characteristics that show that he is a counterfeit. And the people of God will be able to identify the counterfeit characteristics within him. And let me just mention a few. First of all, the people will know from the scriptures that the true Christ, Jesus, that he sought to glorify the Father. John 17, 1, Jesus prays in that passage, and he says, Father, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. In contrast to this, in Revelation 13, 6, it says that the Antichrist will speak blasphemies against God. Secondly, in John 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus prayed for his disciples and for everyone who would believe in Jesus and in God. But in contrast to this, in Revelation 13, 7, the Antichrist makes war against those saints who follow the true God. A third reason, when Jesus died, he died to forgive us our sins. Mark 10, 45 says that he came to give his life a ransom for many. Well, in contrast to this, the Antichrist did not and could not die for our sins. And so Revelation 13 and the Bible as a whole never says that he died for the sins of anyone. And finally, as I already mentioned above, Jesus is God. But the Antichrist will only counterfeit being God. He will actually be a man. And this will be evident. Revelation 13, 18 says that the Antichrist will bear the name six, or the number, I should say, 666. 
And this number will indicate that he is a man and not God. Look at this verse, Revelation 13, 18. It says, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. That's the Antichrist. For it is the number of man, and his number is 666. Now, there have been many questions about what 666 is and how to identify it. And I think it's wise for us not to speculate beyond what the Scripture reveals here, but to go with what the Scripture says. But one thing is clear from this. When the Antichrist comes, God will make it evident that this is the number of the Antichrist and that this number will mean that the Antichrist is man and not God. So while the Antichrist will look real, he will be a counterfeit. He will be a complete fake. Now, even though he will be a counterfeit, he will still initially succeed. But in the end, this Antichrist will be defeated by the true Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is our final characteristic about the Antichrist. The ultimate end of the Antichrist. The end, the end of the Antichrist will be swift. It will be final. It will be definitive. And at that time, the true Christ will reign as the King of King, kings, and the Lord of lords. At the end of the tribulation, the armies of all of the godless nations will gather together to attack Israel, to attack Jerusalem in a battle called the Battle of Armageddon. We're familiar with that. Millions upon millions of warriors will come together to fight Israel and to fight God. But at the end of this, this battle, all of the enemies of God will be defeated. In Matthew 24, 30, Jesus says that the that as these armies prepare for war against God, the sign of the Son of Man will appear, and Jesus will destroy all of these enemies. And at that time, at that time of the end, the Antichrist and his false prophet will be judged in a specific and in a severe way. Revelation 20 says that the Antichrist and the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire. They will be the first two humans to go into this lake of fire. That's going to be their punishment. And this shows how wicked the Antichrist and his false prophet are. Even Satan won't be there at this time. Satan will, will first be bound for a thousand years during the millennium, and only after the millennium he'll be cast into the lake of fire. But the Antichrist and the false prophet will be thrown into the lake of fire immediately after the tribulation. And at this time, after the Antichrist and his prophet are judged, the true Christ, the Messiah Jesus, will establish the millennial kingdom and he will reign as king in Jerusalem. This is when Israel will turn to Christ. This is when the prophecy of Zechariah will, will be fulfilled. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. This is when Paul's words will be fulfilled. All Israel will be saved, king of kings and Lord of lords. And so the end of the Antichrist will be the beginning of the reign of the true Christ in the millennial kingdom. This is why God gives us all of this revelation about the Antichrist. God wants us to know that even though the Antichrist will initially succeed, 
And even though things will get worse, ultimately, he will be defeated and the true Christ will reign. God wants us to know that he knows that the world will get worse. He's fully sovereign over all of this, and ultimately, he will be victorious. God wants this revelation about the rise and the destruction of the Antichrist to strengthen our faith so that we can confidently look forward to the coming, to the return and the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when John, in the book of Revelation, after he sees all of the visions about the future, his response is this, Lord Jesus. And that's what our response should be. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Let me pray. Lord God, even though studying the Antichrist is a horrifying experience, just seeing how evil he is and how much sin he brings into this world, how much sin he commits, and Lord, the blatant and the flagrant attacks that he will carry out on the people of Israel, on the people of God who believe in you, Lord, and on you directly, Lord God, is just frightening. And Lord God, our response is only we praise you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you have saved us from this wickedness. We thank you that you've saved us from this man who is the agent of the devil, who is the agent of Satan. And Lord God, we thank you that we are your children and that eternity for us will be with you without sin. Lord, in perfect worship of you. And Lord, as John said, we also say, Maranatha, Lord, come, fulfill all of these things, destroy evil, and may your name be glorified and exalted. God, we look forward to that day, and we pray that you would keep all of these things in our hearts and in our minds as we go throughout the day. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.